Amen. Alright, take your Bibles and turn back with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I've entitled this message, Sovereign Election and Reprobation. Sovereign Election and Sovereign Reprobation. Now last Lord's Day we looked at the three objections. The three objections of men to the sovereignty of God. And the first objection was that God was unfaithful. That God had promised to save Israel. God swore in His Word to save Israel. And yet Israel, Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh, had rejected the Messiah. They would crucified the Lord of glory. Therefore the question was, the objection was, is the Word of God of none effect? Is the Word of God failed? Well, the answer is no. He says in verse 6, not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. Why? Because not all that are Israel are of the seed of Jacob. Not all those that are Israel are of the seed of Jacob. So the simple answer is this, that Israel is intended by God to be only a type and a picture of the elect of God, the spiritual Israel of God. And therefore he says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. And not because they were born of Abraham. Now this is exactly what the Jews believed. The Jews believed this very plainly. They told Christ, We be Abraham's seed. What was their hope? What was their standing was this. We are the children of Abraham and are not in bondage to any man. They believed themselves to be the children of God because they were Jews. But here, the truth according to the word of God is this. He says, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, now he's going to explain what that means. That is, they which are the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The children of the promise, they're the ones, not, they're the children of God. The children according to the promise, according to the sovereign will and decree of God, and not according to the flesh. And he gives those two examples. You know the next. He, gives, he says, For the word, for this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. The first example, obviously, he gives is that of Isaac. Isaac was a child of Abraham. But listen, so was Ishmael. Both were seeds of Abraham. Yet, Isaac was chosen and Ishmael was cast out. Now the question is, why was one of the seed of Abraham chosen and one cast out? Because they were types. They were pictures. But you might have an objection with Isaac and Ishmael because Ishmael had a different mother. You can say, well, that's, that's only because... 
you know, he's been rejected because he had, he had this, this Egyptian mother. Okay, well then he gives us another example. The children of Isaac being twins in the same womb. Now you can't have any objection. These are the seed of Isaac, the promised son. And what does he say about this? He says, but when Rebekah had conceived, even by one our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And so the two sons of Jacob, of, of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, God made choice. God made choice between these two sons before they had done good or evil. This, my friend, is the doctrine of election. That God purposed and loved Jacob and hated Esau. This is the election of grace. That God loved Jacob, chose Jacob, saved Jacob, and hated Esau. Even before their birth. Before they were before they can merit anything. Jacob did not merit this by his good works because he did not do any. Listen, and in the same token, the hatred of Esau, he had not done any evil. Yet God hated him. What do you do with that? What can you do with that? Nothing. You can't do anything with it. This is the truth. This is God as He reveals it to us. Before they had done any good or evil, God loved one and hated the other. Therefore, the Word of God is faithful to save Israel, which are not the sons of Abraham, but rather the sons of sovereign election. And what's the purpose of us understanding this? Comfort. Comfort. You that are believers in Christ, you are the elect of God. You are the Jacobs. <laughs> you were chosen, not by any merits of your own. You were loved of God before the world began. You were given to Christ. Christ obtained your salvation. The Spirit of God came to you and called you to life and faith in Christ. Therefore, listen, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. They're yours. Is the Word of God of none effect? No. The Word of God is very much in effect. God promised to save Israel, and listen, He will save Israel. He will save His people. that all he loved and gave to Christ will be saved. Their merit, not their own, but the work of Christ. As he represented them, even so they are called, and none of the elect shall be lost, for we are the sons of promise. Now the second objection that he deals with is this, what shall we say then? 
Is there unrighteousness with God? Now, listen. God loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born, having done anything to either merit his hatred or merit his love. Now, you're going to say this. Is God unrighteous to do that? This is the objection of modern religion. Well, that's not fair. God is not just. Matter of fact, they don't even ask the question. They just demand it. They say, well, God's not just. God like that? I won't serve a God like that. He's unjust. What does Paul say about this? Is God unjust? What is his answer? God forbid. God forbid you say anything like that. God is just. If God loved some and hated others before they were born, is God unjust? God forbid, because salvation is not based on merit, but according to mercy. For he saith to Moses. Now he's going to talk about the elect. He's going to talk about how they are saved. How are the elect saved? Now God loved them before they did any good, but why? What's the purpose? How, how did God do that? Listen, He did it according to mercy. For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The election of God is a divine act of, of God's mercy. It's an act of mercy because all men, Jacob and Esau, both were sinners. When they were conceived... The moment they were conceived, they inherited the sin nature of their father. The moment they were conceived. The moment we were conceived, we all inherited the same nature. None of us escaped. The only one that did not inherit our nature that's man is Christ. Our sin nature. We were born sinners. Therefore, if any are to be saved, it must be by Mercy. Mercy. Therefore, if salvation were left up then to the will and works of man, then none would be saved. None would be saved. We would have been like the fallen angels. If God had left it up to us to merit salvation, there would be no man saved. If He waited for you to be willing, none of us would be saved. Now this goes against the Arminians and, and free will works religion because that's what they believe is that man's will has some effectual power. And we know that's not so. We know that Jesus Christ said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw Him. There's no hope for you to come to me. You'll never come to me. Except the Father do something for you. Except the Father show up. Behold, God then is a debtor to none. I want you to understand that. God does not owe us anything. Now, men are not, they're not, they don't object to the fallen angels' uh, principle. You say that God owes a fallen angels nothing. We say, yeah, that's, um, they don't owe him anything. But when it comes to us, they, they believe that he kind of owes us something. 
Well, He made me, so therefore He must owe me some. No, He owes you nothing. If He saves you, it is by strict mercy. Sovereign mercy. That's the only reason you're saved. He's a debtor to none. God does not owe man anything but, but damnation. That's what He owes us. If you want to give what we really deserve, that's what we all deserve. Every one of us. And so if any are to be saved, it must be rooted in sovereign election and sovereign grace. Salvation must be by mercy. And God is free and just to either give it or withhold it. Since God doesn't owe us anything and it's His mercy, He is free to either give it or not. He is subject to no one. And so then the conclusion of all salvation is this, so then. So then, verse 16. Here's the conclusion. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Why was Jacob loved? Mercy. God willed to love Jacob and willed to show him mercy. That's it. The only reason. Nothing in Jacob. Nothing in you. Nothing in me. So then salvation is not by the will of man nor by the works of man, not by the efforts of man, but solely based on the sovereign mercy of God. And all who would ascribe salvation in any part to the will or works of man makes the cross of none effect. Salvation is an act of God upon the sinner and has nothing to do with the merits of the sinner. Nothing. And the moment we add anything to that work, we defile it and it's of no effect. So you think of false religion. I don't care what you put on the door. There are only two religions. Remember that. Only two. Don't be confused and by the, in, in the, the weeds. Works and grace. Only two. You're either completely, utterly saved by works, or you're completely and utterly saved by grace, and never the twain mix. Eventually, Paul's going to tell us that. He's going to say, look, it's either of grace or it's of works. It cannot be of both. Paul said this to those Galatians. He said, if you add circumcision, Christ shall profit you nothing. Listen, if you add the will of man, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you add the works or, or rituals or baptism or anything, you add anything to Christ, Christ shall profit you nothing. Why? Salvation is completely the work of God's mercy. Therefore, we are at the mercy of God. Mercy of God. And so in salvation, all is of God's will, all is of God's work. The Father, His work is this, He chose us. 
He loved us. His work is this. He gave us to Christ. And the work of Christ was to do everything you couldn't do. He did everything you could not do. He obeyed God. You couldn't. His blood actually satisfied God. Your blood would never do. God raised Him from the dead, set Him on the throne, and made Him your mediator. Isn't that what it said? 1 Corinthians, it says, But of God you are in Christ Jesus. Of God are you in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto you. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. He has made the whole package. God made Him to be your Savior. And He accomplished that work and then the work of the Spirit is to call you, to quicken you, and to keep you. Why are you still here? Have you not been tempted to go away? Well, I have. I tell you, sometimes I feel, oh, I feel as though the Lord has left me. I feel... What does my feelings have to do with it? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because my, my salvation is completely all of mercy. Grace. The will of God. And I say, by the which will you are sanctified? You know why I'm sanctified? By the will of God. By the blood and death of Christ. See, God, He did that. He did that. But what of those hated with God? Now that deals with the, those who are saved. The Jacobs. But what about the Esau's? Those who are hated of God. Well, God deals with that in the next. Look at verse 17. So the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh, he's just like Esau. It saith unto Pharaoh. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. He uses Pharaoh to prove God's sovereignty, that God sovereignly set His hatred upon him even before he had done evil, just like, just like Esau. Just like Esau. In this case, God acts in divine justice without mercy. Without mercy. God, whose word cannot be broken or thwarted, declares to Pharaoh, I have raised thee up to show my, not my mercy, but my power, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Behold, the birth, the life, and the death of Pharaoh were according to the will of God for his destruction. Pharaoh had one purpose, to be destroyed. That God might show his power in this man, he raised him up so he might destroy him. It was appointed of God for his destruction so that he might display his power 
his wrath towards sin and his love toward Israel. Isn't that what he did? By killing Pharaoh, didn't he display his love for Israel? <laughs> you know the fear. I mean, Pharaoh, he, he's sitting there and, and God tells Moses, even before he does it, he says, I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to let you go. Now, why did Pharaoh not let him go? Because God willed it. God determined that Pharaoh, his heart should be hardened. And listen, it was hardened. It is here we must not seek to bring God under the judgment of human wisdom but rather submit to what God has revealed in His Word. We are not required then to understand or comprehend it, but simply to believe the Word of God as it stands. Believe what God declares about His character, His justice and His grace. And behold the greatness of our, the sovereignty of God on display. The sovereignty of God is the grounds of God's dealings with all men. God deals sovereignly with all men. He does so in this. He does with them as He pleases. He does with them as He pleases. This is the grounds of God's dealings with the elect and the reprobate. Of his own sovereign pleasure, he receives or rejects whomsoever he will. Therefore, the conclusion, therefore, look at the conclusion in verse 18. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. He hardeneth. His mercy then is displayed upon sinful men and by dealing by uh, by sending His only begotten Son to satisfy the justice for His elect. That's a display of mercy, isn't it? God was willing that His elect should have mercy. His mercy is displayed in Jesus obtaining their righteousness. His mercy is displayed in the death of His Son by making His, his offering for sin the only offering acceptable by making Him a mediator, a high priest, and a king. His mercy is displayed in the experience of grace in our hearts and the new nature by which we are made willing and able to believe. His mercy is displayed in the calling of His elect. Behold the mercy of God upon those chosen to have mercy. I know we like to dwell on this. But there's an opposite side of this as well. The opposite of this is just as true. His justice is displayed then in the reprobate. Just as his, the glory of His grace is displayed in the objects of election, so is the glory of His justice displayed in the reprobation of men. Those whom he has mercy, he will have mercy, but he hardens others.
Look at Romans 11. Look at Romans 11. I say then, hath God cast off his people? God forbid. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Hath God cast away his people which he foreknew? What you not that this, what the scripture saith of Isaiah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, I, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone to seek, they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved for myself seven thousand men, have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace it is no more works, otherwise grace no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more work, it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not attained that which it seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it. And the rest were what? Blinded. Now the question is, who's doing the blinding? Who's doing the blinding? The same person giving sight is the same person doing the blinding. God is. God is. According as it is written, God hath given them a spirit of slumber eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Who closes the eyes and ears of men? Well, who opens them? God opens them. But my friends, I'll tell you this, God in sovereignty closes them. Whom He'll have mercy, He'll have mercy. And whom He will, He hardens. This is a vital point. I want you to understand this, that even though God does the hardening, God in no way communicates sin to men. God in no act upon men communicates sin as He does in grace. Why? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. You're born with that. He doesn't have to communicate sin to you. That sin is already there when you, you're conceived. And so then he hardened the hardness of men's hearts only occurs as God removes it or restrains it to be uh, restrains their own evil heart. That is, God regulates the hardness of the heart. God regulates the hardness of the heart and their ability to do what's in them already. Okay, example, the cross. The cross. Was the cross of Christ ordained of God? The crucifixion of Christ, was it ordained of God? Well, of course, we know we read this in Acts he says that by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, we know that the death of Christ was purposed of God. It was ordained of God. But it was not going to happen in a vacuum. Wicked men must 
have crucified Him. They must do the evil work of crucifying Him. Who ordained that? Who ordained the sin of these men? God did. Matter of fact, how many times in Scripture does it say this, His hour is not yet come? They wanted to kill Him so many times before this. And yet what? They were not, uh, they were not allowed to do what they wanted to do. God restrained them from doing what was in their heart. Kill Him. Now on the Passover, they said this. We can't kill Him on the Passover. That would be too much of an uproar. We can't kill Him on the Passover. God says, I beg your pardon. You will kill Him on the Passover. And they did. They killed Him exactly when God determined that they should. They desired to kill Christ and their heart was either restrained or allowed to by the determinate counsel of God to do whatsoever He had purposed to do. In this the scripture in Psalm 76, it says, When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. That's the crucifixion of Christ, isn't it? He rose to judgment. He killed the Messiah in the stead of His elect to show His divine mercy. It says this, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath that thou shalt restrain. So who, who restrains men or determines their sin? Who's sovereignly over the, the sins and the affairs of all men? It's God. You know, see, God is sovereignly either to harden or restrain. If, you, if any wicked men show you any favor, where's that come from? God determined it. If any man seek to kill you and destroy you, who determined that? God did. Do you see how sovereign God is? That there is nothing outside of His divine decree. Nothing is outside the divine decree of God. Nothing. I think I hit the wrong button. <laughs> there we go. Therefore, behold, the comfort given to the vessels of mercy is that God regulates all things, controls all men, None of this stuff that's going on right now is outside of His decree, friends. These people are doing exactly what God before determined to be done. Didn't this give you some comfort? I mean, do you ever think men would be this, I mean, ignorant? I mean, just, there's no other way to say it. They're crazy. They're, they're mad. And they think themselves to be intelligent. And you, you just look at it and, and kind of mock. It's just absurd. Who, who's, who's doing this? God's doing this. God's doing this. And so all the hearts of men, both the objects of His mercy and the objects of His justice, are under His sovereign decree. To what end? 
Why does God do it this way? I'm going to give you the answer. And it's not satisfying to the flesh, but it is the answer. For His own glory. That's what He's doing. God is going to magnify His glory of His mercy in the objects of His elect. And He's going to magnify the, His wrath and justice in the objects of the reprobates. God is doing all things for Himself. And then with the scripture, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked in the day of evil. And all he does in the providence of time is for his glory. But in doing so, it is also for our good. Everything God does is for your good. Everything God does is for your good. They rush into this building and they take us all out and they kill us. It's for your good. We go out tonight and our children die. It's for our good. Everything God does is for your good. God is going to save his people and everything he does is toward that end it's toward that end so all he does in providence is for your good and salvation another illustration of that is Joseph in Egypt right what a picture that is Joseph in Egypt remember God gave that promise through a vision to Joseph had all those sheaves bowing down to him why did God give that dream to him? I'll tell you why. To stir up the hatred of his brethren. His brethren hated him long before they sold him. Why did they sell him? When they had opportunity to sell him, why did they sell him? They sold him because that's what God determined them to do. Now, did they know it? Nope. Did they do what they wanted to do? Yep. Were they guilty of doing it? Yes. Those who killed Christ are guilty of killing Christ and they're in hell right now. Though God determined that they do it. God did not just allow these men to do that evil act. He decreed it. Why? For the salvation of Jacob. He decreed to use their sin of these, bro these brothers, the sin of Potiphar and his wife and even Pharaoh for the salvation of his people. This hatred of Joseph was in their hearts long before they did it. And at the appointed time, God decreed them to do it. They, they sold him. But remember what Jake, Joseph said to them at the end. He said, you meant it for evil. Now why does men do evil? Because that's in their heart. in their heart now if they do it or not guess what who's in control of that God is God either restrains it or purposes that they do it remember he said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good God meant it for good 
And so then we see this in the, the salvation of the elect and the reprobation of uh, those hated of God are according to the sovereign will of God. And then the, this last objection, look at this. Thou wilt say unto me, Why did he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? And this is the third objection of the accusers of God being a cruel monster. They say, well, if God determined them to be reprobate, if God determined them and ordained all their sin, and nobody can resist the will of God, then how can God blame them? That's the objection, isn't it? Objection. If God's willing to, if God's willing that these men should sin, and His power is all powerful, then how can they be accused of sin? Judas. Let's use Judas as an example. Judas is the son of damnation, the son of perdition. He was determined to betray Christ before he was born. In fact, it was prophesied that he should do it. Let me ask you this: Was there any chance? He wouldn't do it. No, God determined him to do it. God purposed him. God gave him life and breath and put him right next to Christ so that he should do this evil thing. Well, if God ordained it, then how can Judas be accountable? How can he be responsible? The same is said of the crucifixion. Again, if, they, if God determined them to crucify Christ, how can they be held accountable? The objection is how then are they to bear the guilt seeing God ordained it? Paul then gives three answers. I'm only going to deal with one right now. I'm only going to deal with one. I'll give you the other two answers because in the next couple of verses. I'm going to deal with this first objection. The first answer to this is, who are you? Who are you? No, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? I believe he's using this in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 9. This is the same line of, of answer. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say unto him that fashioned it, Why hast thou? Why makest thou? What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. You see, it's the same thing he's he's quoting here. Who are you to reply against? Shall the thing form say unto him that form it? Why hast thou made me thus? Behold then the pride and presumption of man in this objection. To look into the deep things of God and find fault with His plan and His providence. It is here that every believer should just simply bow before His Maker. God sovereignly chose His people and the ones that were reprobate is according to the sovereign will of God. Everything that is done in time and providence is according to the sovereign decree of God. 
Can you reconcile this? God is absolutely, completely sovereign over all things, and yet man is fully responsible. Can you? You put those things together? You can't. So it is, it's at this point we must stop with human reason and simply bow before God. Simply bow before God. We should bow before our Maker and not strive, but rather hear what He says and without question acknowledge it's right and just. Can there be any greater display of pride than for the creature to presume to have greater wisdom than God in this? To think the judgment, His judgment, is more righteous than the judgment of God. Shall the thing formed say unto Him, Why hast thou made me thus? Let God's people then be satisfied with the answer of Scripture that God has willed both the salvation of the elect and the destruction of the wicked. Be satisfied that God determines to do with men whatsoever He pleases. Should not this satisfy us? That God is God and we're not? That God has made us and we are subject to Him, and He is not subject to us. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory, for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. For mercy and justice. Not unto us, there's no glory here. But unto Yourself give glory, both for Your mercy and Your justice. Wherefore, then should the heathen say, Where is thy God? But our God is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. So then let us, as Paul does here, cease to try to use mere human reason and bow before God whose ways are, listen, past finding out. Don't you know there are things past finding out about God that you don't know? This is one of them. Here's one of them. Let us not invent doctrines in order to excuse God. I'm not going to try to excuse God in this. Paul doesn't. In fact, he just says, who are you to reply against God? That's his answer. Why? Because human logic and reason have just gone out the window. There's no way you can reconcile these two things. No way you can bring it together. Why? Because there are certain things about God that just pass finding out. So let's not invent doctrine to excuse it. Excuse God. God determines to do with mankind as He pleases. Whatsoever He pleases. And sinful men will always rise up against the divine right. They will seek to condemn His justice, but let us who are objects of grace not rise up. Let us behold and wonder at the incomprehensible sovereignty of our God. Both in salvation and reprobation. 
And this is why Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments. Are His judgments unsearchable or you, you got it? You understand it? To me, they're unsearchable. I, I, can't, I can't put my... I, I'm, I'm kind of treading water here because I, I really can't find a bottom to this. And if you feel that way, good. You're getting it. Because His ways of judgment are unsearchable. I can't tell you how it is that God ordains a man to sin and yet God has no, no guilt in it whatsoever and the man is guilty. He is. Yet God ordained it. That's unsearchable to me. So what do you do with it? You bow. Nay, man, who are you? Do not put God under the microscope of your judgment and reason. That's what Paul's saying. Surely his judgment would not be past finding out if we could always perceive what it is to be just. That's the first answer of that objection. I know I've got two more, but I'm not going to make it tonight, and I'm not going to try. Again, I just at this point, we just have to wait out in there and ask God to be gracious, to cause us to bow down and find comfort in this. God does with men whatsoever He pleases. If God saves a man, it's because God determined to do it. And if God reprobates a man, it's because He determined to do it. Don't give me this, that God determined to save the elect, but the reprobate didn't really determine to do anything with him. You know, no. Everything is determined by God. Even the sin of man. And yet God is not guilty of sin. Man is. And man will be held accountable before God. So Judas cannot sit there and say, well, you determined that I do it. It's your fault. Nope. Judas is in hell right now because of his sin. Even though God determined it. Again, what are we going to do? Just swim out there and say, yes. Yes, Lord. That's so. Why, why, how can I say it? It's right there. Paul didn't try to make an excuse for God. He just turned around and says, who are you trying to put God under your, your reasoning? Don't do it. May God help us just simply bow before the sovereignty of God and be thankful. You that are vessels of mercy. The fact that we are not reprobate, what a great point of thanksgiving and praise to God. Because there was no difference between us and the, and the reprobate, is there? No difference. Who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that hast not received? See, the doctrine of election is meant to humble man, not to give you any pride. Doesn't this abase you? 
but it exalts God. I pray God will be merciful to help us with this. The sovereignty of God.